if you were thinking about your brand, you're thinking about your business and you're thinking about like, if I had to rebrand everything right now and just like, I had to change it in 30 days because somebody else got a trademark for it or they had a trademark for it or whatever. Um, and you had to rebrand, like, would that be just like the end of the world? Would that be a huge nightmare financially, emotionally, whatever? Today, we're meeting with Nicole Schwartz, the attorney and founder behind Sprout Law, a law firm for women business owners. In 2015, she created a skincare line that grew exponentially and was internationally known. Her products were even in the Golden Globe gift bags. So I'm curious about that. We're going to dig into that. How did that happen? Because I think a lot of the audience is going to want to know, how do you get those kinds of bigger gigs, right? Those bigger connections. But after only two years in her skincare line, someone trademarked her brand and she couldn't use it anymore. She had to rebrand her entire business just because she didn't have a trademark on it. She sold her skincare line and started her own law firm exclusively for women. She now helps other women trademark their brands to avoid the same situation. And we're going to hear all about it because I am fascinated with this concept of trademarks. I have one myself, um, and I will tell you all the, the, the ups and downs of that and pick your brain as well. So welcome to the Unstoppable Woman podcast. Nicole, let's get started. You ready? Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Sure, of course. This is going to be great. So like I said, I am fascinated by trademarks. Um, I know like this much about them because I have one and I hired a lawyer to help me with it, but I really don't know the ins and outs of it. And one of the things that I, I'm fascinated about is what you have to do to um, enforce a trademark. And we'll get to that later in the, the conversation because I know you, you do some work around that and I'd love to hear that. So um, I can't wait. Tell us the story of your journey to this world that you're in, this, this uh, focus, because it's, it's quite a big journey. And I think the audience would love to hear a little bit about how you got to, to being focused on this and, and how you dealt with, you know, what, what happened there, like losing, pretty much losing your brand. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Like that's always been a big goal. I always knew I was going to run my own business someday, but I didn't know exactly what. So I went to law school and as soon as I graduated, I, I had worked like a little bit, you know, internships and stuff in law. And I just really felt like this wasn't for me. This wasn't like a good fit. And so I just quit my law job and I started a skincare line, like total, like 2 a.m., browsing on Pinterest, like, like moment where I was just like, this is it. I'm going to like, I found like a skincare formula and I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And I just started out like at festivals and stuff like that. And it really just grew like into getting into stores, um, just starting with like a local store. I just like went there and was like, please sell my stuff, you know, <laughs> and really like learned a, a lot along the way. And then it, it sort of transformed into this thing where we we're in a lot of different stores and the Golden Globes gift bags, as you mentioned, and just like doing a lot of, of really um, fun stuff in that business. So it was covered in, in like coconut oil and sugar, like constantly, but, um, but yeah, but uh, it, it was great. And then one day I just woke up, went to my email and it was like, bam, cease and desist letter. Like you can't use this brand name anymore. 
And it was like such a surreal moment. And also just, I felt so silly because it was like, I, you know, I was an attorney at that point. Like I should have known, I should have like prioritized that, but I was so busy, like trying to get sales and Instagram followers and wholesale accounts and trying to make products. And there's like, you know, there's a hundred million things that are on your to-do list every single day. So that just wasn't really like a focus for me. Um, How big was your business when you got that cease and desist letter? So we, um, I I was still the only employee, but we had contract manufacturers um, who were making it. We had like a a warehouse of like stuff and we had maybe um, two to 300 different wholesale accounts. That's fantastic. So, and you had put about two years of work into it and as I'm well aware of those early years, it's like hustle and grind time. It's like you're, you're pounding the pavement and you're really going hard. And, um, so there was a lot of effort that you put in. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Effort. And then also the thing that I didn't really realize before I had to change everything was like, how many things have your brand name on it from like the packet, like the, the packaging, like the labels, to your domain name, to your website, to your business cards, to like, just, you know, like just everything has it on there. And so the, the act of actually changing it is like a very, uh, tedious process. It's sort of like changing your name. If you get married, it's just like the paperwork just keeps going on and on. on. Yeah. So not only was there an investment in time in building the business, but there was an investment in time and money in terms of your, your collateral, your, you know, some of it is digital collateral and, but some of it is print collateral and all of that. Yeah. I can really see that, um, being, you know, your logo even, right. You have to, you know, so many, especially when you're new in business, you spend a lot of time thinking about like, is this logo what I want? It does this represent me. It can be a a rabbit hole there that people get into. Yeah. And I had already paid for branding. So then I had to repay for branding again. So it's just like, wow. You know, I started joking that like I had to, I felt like I had to do and pay for everything like twice. Yeah. It was like a whole restart of things. Yeah. And then I also had to notify like all of my wholesale accounts, like all the retail shops that we were in, you know, I didn't tell them like all of the sorted details about it, but I just said like, you know, we're rebranding and that's kind of embarrassing to say that you're rebranding. And it was just a, a, a and, emotional process. Yeah. And it's not just rebranding, like we're changing our colors and the fonts and our labels. We're, we're calling ourselves a different name. Like yeah. the business is going to be yeah. called something else. How did the companies that you were working with take the rebrand? They were all great. Yeah. They were all fine about it. It was more just that like, I felt embarrassed about it, but then also like we had to, we had to, um, we had to sort of do this process where like they had to sell out their current inventory and then we would, we would like, send more, you know what I mean? Like, like replenish with the new brand name. So that would just also took a lot of time to figure out like, well, how much inventory do you have? And if you're going to sell it, they had a limited amount of time that they could sell it still. Um, and so it was just, it was logistically a little bit difficult, but everybody was for the most part fine with it. Yeah. So talk about the, um, you mentioned you were embarrassed. Talk about the feelings behind that. So like, how did you, how long did it take you? I mean, there's probably some, some fear or drive when you get a cease and desist and then you like, you have to go into action. You have a certain amount of time to make some changes before everything crashes and burns um, and they go after you. But like, so, so I can imagine that there's just some, okay, I got to get into action and go into to drive mode, right? But when you weren't in total massive action, 
like all those feelings are coming up. How did you deal with what was coming up and how did you deal with them? And the reason I asked this is because when I do a spotlight interview with someone, I, I'm thinking about my audience who are women entrepreneurs at varying, you know, degrees of experience and years in the business and things like that. And the, some of the biggest things that stop them are is the inner game. It's like this this challenge, this curveball came, and I just want to go into my hidey hole, but your business is going to freaking crash and burn if you go into your hidey hole, but suppressing your emotions doesn't really work. So how did you personally manage that whole situation? This is like such a, a great question. I love this because I think the mindset part of it is like one of the most important parts of running a business because it's just constant new ways to challenge yourself like emotionally and, and stuff like that. So like just sort of going back like a, a little bit for a second, like the biggest thing, like I wanted to start a business as I was mentioning, like I knew I wanted to start it like 10 years before I did, but it was like the fear of it that really kept me from doing it. And the way that I got over that was just talking and trying to like expose myself. It was like exposure therapy, like trying to talk to as many different business owners as I could to just kind of like normalize that, like this was a, a way that people could like live and, and like make money and stuff like that. Like, so I think just, just like for that, I just waited a really long time. And then finally I was just like, F it and, and jumped into it. Uh, so but let's with pause, let's pause right yeah. there. Cause that's a big deal. Like you said, you, you did your research, you did your, your, your own personal informal research, talking to lots of people. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to do it. What did you hear from that research? And how did you finally rip the bandaid off and go for it? Because I think there's a lot of people in the same situation that you're in that, that, you know, they're, they're hedging their bets a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think like the, the fear that I initially had was like people's judgment. I was like, what are my friends going to think? Like they're going to laugh at my Instagram. They're going to, you know, do this stuff. And it's, it's funny because like, you know, everybody that I talked to was like that, that's going to change in like two or three years. And they're going to be asking you like, how did you do it? Um, and that's definitely like exactly what happens is the same people who are like laughing about things or the same people who you're kind of worried about how they'll take it or the, you know, the same people who asked me at the beginning, like, oh, how is this business doing? And, you know, they kind of had a, a little tone a little to their voice yeah. Yeah. <laughs> where you knew it wasn't like a serious question. Those are the same people now who are like, so are you hiring? Like, so how do you, how do you send these emails? Like, how do you do this? Like, how do you do email marketing? So like, I, I think the number one piece of advice that I heard and that I appreciated uh, was just not listening to like the judgment and not being worried about that and understanding that that will like those that will change people's perceptions of you as an entrepreneur change as soon as you start making money they go from like that's not going to work to like wow how did you do that absolutely for sure now what about the judgment in your your head did you have um like there there are the actual people who ask you a question with a little tone with a little edge um and then there's the voice in your head how did you deal with the voice in your head, which can be even more critical and judgy than uh, people outside of your head, everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. So I never had like the voice in my head problem at the, in the beginning. I was like, I know I can do this. Like, let's go. It was just other people's opinions that were holding me back. But it's interesting now as I'm, I've, as I've been an entrepreneur now for like seven years, which is like kind of silly to think about, but um now it's my own voice that gets in my head. Now it's like me as my own boss being like, you can't take a day off. Like, you, you know, you've got to be doing this. And, and I'm like the mean boss to myself. And I, now it's like the voice in my head that I have to like 
push against and be like, you can take a day off. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. I kind of think that if, even if you didn't have the voice, like actually speaking the words in your head, that that fear of judgment of what other people think, that is a little bit of internal self-doubt. Because if you didn't yeah. doubt yourself, if you knew you were going to do it, you wouldn't have any fear of anyone else's judgment, right? That's a good point. Yeah. You wouldn't, I wouldn't even, even care what other people thought. So yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's go back. Let's circle okay. back to that question around mindset. Okay. So how did you deal with the inner game feelings? You know, here you are, you're a lawyer. Your, your inner self-talk is like, I should have known better and look at what this has caused. How did you manage that uh, throughout this process so that you could rebrand and, and come out? the other side yeah, it was kind of like the stages of grief I think like I don't know if they're in exactly the same order but it really started with like anger and it started with like no this isn't real like I'm gonna fight this I'm like I'm gonna get my name back like all that stuff and then you know I didn't know much about trademarks at that at that point like I just I knew what they were but I didn't know the details and so when I reached out to a trademark attorney to be like let's fight this she was like yeah we could try to fight this like here's what it's going to cost you and it was like you know, like a, it was, I think it was at least $30,000 and just, to, just to have a chance at fighting it. Like, that's not even like, you're going to win. That's just like, you can get in the game. Um, and I was like, uh, I think I'll probably just rebrand at that point. Um, and that's kind of when I had that like sobering moment where I was like, all right, like, this is what it's actually going to cost me to fight it. I'm not really that interested in doing that. I'd just rather put that money towards rebranding things. Yeah. So you went through, you went through the anger and then you, you went through all the stages of grief and you kind of reconciled it. And, yeah. and did you have to forgive yourself? Yeah. I haven't really thought about that before. I think, I think like maybe how I forgave myself was like getting super into trademarks. Like I was like, this yeah. isn't going to happen again. <laughs> like it's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to my friends. Like I think I just like really dove into, into that world and like learned everything I could. And it was like, you know, just like, I'm not going to let this happen. That's so interesting. Cause I teach a forgiveness practice to the women in our, in my mastermind. And one of the aspects of it that makes it slightly different than other forgiveness practices is I ask them to think about what they would do differently because I think my experience is that it's very hard to forgive yourself if you don't actually learn the lesson, not like a thousand lashes learn the lesson, but like really what was the lesson here? What, what would I do differently? And you took that, that next step, which is like, you really did it differently. You executed on that new thing. So I, I, I freaking love that. So how long did you have of the rebrand business before you went into the new field of being, you know, focused on the trademarks and helping women in business do their trademarks? I think I had it for about six months. Okay. Um, and, you know, it was just like kind of focused on the rebranding process and that takes a while. And then by the time that was like able to, you know, like be done and be released and everything like that, I had already sort of like dove deep into the world of trademarks. And I already had like a lot of friends and clients already who were like, help me with this, help me with this, help me with this. And I just, I found like, okay, this just feels more like my passion than the beauty business. So I love this. I mean, not not anything against the beauty business, right? Because I, lo I love it all. Um, but what I find fascinating is that you went into law initially, you got your law degree, it didn't feel right. You had to have this experience be bopped on the head. Okay, it was not a pretty bop. It was like a hard bop. And, and then you were able to see the opportunity in the situation and it actually drove you to, back toward to law, but in this more nuanced way, in this like more clear way. 
and that there's such a, you know, beautiful full circle there. And, you know, I teach from the lens of universal law. That's part of how I teach. And one of the things that I, I really emphasize for people is that your perspective, law of relativity, your perspective is either that the universe is happening for you or against you, you know, that life is for you or against you. Okay. And what you, what you did and what I'm going to underscore is that you, after the grief, after the anger, after all of that, right. Um, you recognize that this was a really big opportunity for you and it was a, a love and it was, it was actually for you, not against you, right? Oh yeah, completely. I think I think even if I had stayed in the beauty business, that was one of the best things that that could have happened. Financially, it was terrible, and just emotionally, it was terrible. But the brand that I came out with afterwards was so much better because I had I'd known my customers. Like it was just it, it was a just a hundred times better than the first brand I came out with, where I just slapped a label on something and called it good. Um, so even in that perspective, it was great, but I think that, um, you know, being able to like transition back into law and do it in a way that really worked for me. And that like felt like something I was passionate about was, yeah, again, one of, one of the best things that I think has happened to me. I love that. So have you always been, has it been natural for you to be able to see opportunity in situations? Is that sort of something that you had to cultivate or is that sort of part of your personality, um, I think I'm always kind of, uh, yeah, I think I'm always like the person that's sort of like running into a challenge and like really interested in just growth and personal growth and, and the opportunities and things, you know, even when things are just like so uncomfortable and they're so hard, like just that's, that's the interesting thing to me is like figuring out, like, how do you, how do we like push through this? Perseverance, problem solving, all of that. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And there's a different, I find that there's always a level where you're able to see the opportunity and when you're able not to see the opportunity. And it's at that edge that really makes you unstoppable. Like this was like a little bit of an edge, right? And and um, now that you've experienced this, there's probably, not that I wish it on you by any means, but the, the bigger the business, the bigger the, the challenges. It's not it, it, people think, oh, you get to a certain level and the challenges aren't so so big anymore because you've got all this experience. And there's some truth to that, but only I, I think the truth is that you know how to manage it. You know how to respond to it. But there's always going to be an edge. There's always going to be a growth edge. And that's where, for, for our listeners, I really want uh, them to recognize, what's your growth edge on seeing opportunities? Where are you saying, this sucks and it's happening to me versus life is always for me. Where's the opportunity here? Because it's always embedded in the experience. So, okay. Speaking of our listeners, um, they are women who are in different stages of their business. Some of them are, are just starting a business or getting ready to start one. Some of them have been in business for a long time and are, um, ready to scale or, um, you know, cross the six figures, cross the seven figures, all of that. So, there, you're going to have to speak to that whole range here. How important is it to have a trademark? Like at what stage do you need to be thinking about a trademark? And does it matter what industry you're in? You know, like clearly you were in the beauty care industry. That's a product industry. You should have thought about it. Should have, right? Like at the beginning rather than after you launched, like a, a little bit of research would have gone a long way, right? But is that the case for all industries? 
Yeah, that's, so those are two really good questions. So number one, as far as like when it makes sense to do it, I I think it's like a, a gut feeling of like, if you were thinking about your brand, you're thinking about your business and you're thinking about like, if I had to rebrand everything right now and just like, I had to change it in 30 days because somebody else got a trademark for it or they had a trademark for it or whatever. Um, and you had to rebrand, like, would that be just like the end of the world? Would that be a huge nightmare financially, emotionally, whatever? Or w- would that be fine? Like for some people it's like, oh, that's fine. I'm trying it out. You know, I'm not that committed to it. And then that's not the right time for a trademark. Um, but if you feel like, no, this would be like a huge deal if I had to rebrand in 30 days and change everything, then then it's time to start thinking about one. So it's, it's going to be different. It's not, it's not necessarily based off of, you know, how much, how much money your, your business makes or how long you've been in business. It's really just about like, um, how much like brand equity you have really like how, how much do people know your brand? How, you know, how much, um, do you care about it? Yeah. So that's an interesting thing. So brand equity, I think is really a a key phrase and word and concept there. So when I think about, does everyone need a trademark? The answer is if you have brand equity, if you're building a brand, if it's not just, you know, Amira Alvarez coach, you know, business mentor, it's the unstoppable woman. That's a brand, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, And I think, um, the second part of it, you know, thinking about like what industries, I think two things, like number one, product industries definitely make sense to, to think about that earlier, just because of the investment of like inventory and packaging and stuff like that. If you had to rebrand, then, you know, you might have to throw all that away. Um, and then number two, like I think just popular industries in general, these are industries that are more likely to be trademarked. Like people are filing more applications in these areas. So there's more of a risk that like somebody else could take your name. Um, so, you know, things like beauty, apparel, um, candles, stationery, and then um, business coaching is one of the top ones. Like anything to do with social media, marketing, graphic design, um, and then wellness and like personal growth. Um, all of those are like really, really popular industries. So if you're talking about any of those areas, like whether you have a blog or a podcast or, or are a coach, like those are all, or you do consulting, those are all really important areas to focus on. Okay. Good to know. Okay. So what's fascinating about the way the world works is just yesterday, uh, our strategic advisor who speaks to many women who are interested in working with us, right? They're, they're getting ready to scale their business. They want to scale their business. She was just telling me yesterday that so many women lawyers that she speaks to, she didn't even know that I was having this interview with you. Okay. So she's like, you know, so many women lawyers are, they, they comment on the fact that we're trademarked and that they're, they notice that you've trademarked yourself and they're impressed by that. So I was like, oh, I'm going to flip my hair back. And then I was thinking about this conversation and I'm going to out myself for what I've done well and what I haven't done well. And maybe you can help me with that. Okay. So I'm proud of myself, but, but I also recognize that to some extent, this is because my mother was a lawyer. Okay. So I have that like lens um, through which I see the world. But even so, it was a team member a few years ago who brought the idea to me. And um, so I, I give her a lot of um, credit. And after I went through the trademark process, which was not difficult because I had a business attorney and um, she worked with a trademark attorney, um, it was an investment in, in money, but it was a pretty seamless process because I wasn't DIYing it. Um, and I know that there's ways to DIY it in ways, you know, other ways. Um, but here's the place where I need to out myself and get your insights, okay? Which is, 
I have that entrepreneurial mind, which does big vision. It does like, okay, we're going to focus on this and like goes down the path. Not so interested in the little small details like, wait for it, wait for it, figuring out if there's anyone who's ever infringed on this. Like I have this beautiful trademark. They sent it to me in the mail. It's gorgeous. I teared up a little bit when it arrived. Like I was like, I got this trademark. That's awesome, right? Uh, it, it really felt like this, right? And, and this is actually top of my list for when our new director of ops starts. Um, but I saw something on your website that is called the Trademark Club, which looks like it solves this. I, so I think I'm your ideal client for that. So sell me on that. What does it do? Okay, because I've got this trademark, but I'm not doing any sort of evaluation about whether anyone's using our trademark inappropriately and, and needs to be told not to. Yeah. So first of all, doesn't it feel so good when your trademark certificate comes in the mail? Like that's just like the proudest moment. It feels so official and it feels, because it, it comes from the United States Trademark Office and it's like this, this sheet and I really should frame it. Maybe I'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. I have all mine framed. Yeah. I just, I love them. Um, so anyways, yeah. So once you have a trademark, the trademark is the exclusive right to use either your brand name or you could trademark a logo or you can trademark a tagline or a podcast name or um, you know, a program that you have, product name, there's a lot of different things that you can trademark, but the number one thing that most people trademark is like their, their brand name. Um, and so when you trademark it, you now have the exclusive right to use it for the, the different products and services that you listed. So, you know, for a podcast in a certain area and stuff like that. And there's a couple different things that you're going to want to do. Like the first thing, obviously is you're going to want to put um, a Google alert out for your podcast name and you can do, you know, Google alerts for your exact name and then different versions of it, you know? So for example, like my brand name is called Sprout Law. And so, you know, I would, I have a Google alert for Sprout Law, but also for like Sprout Legal and Sprout Law Firm and, you know, different like things like that, just so that I'm always like, you know, they'll kind of like find you in that way. Um, and then the, the second thing that you want to do is um, you sign up for some kind of monitoring. So we have a, a monitoring service called the Trademark Club, but there's a lot of different ones out there. So, you know, feel free to check around. But the, the point of this is that, like, you want to be checking people who are filing new trademarks because, you know, sometimes the trademark office might let something through, but then you have a chance to object to them and say, like, that's, you know, we think this is too close. Um, so you, want, you always want to be checking that. And then um, you always want to be checking, you know, social media, stuff like that, um, different account names and stuff. Um, and then the third thing is like people who are filing like domain names or LLCs um, just kind of can give you like an early head start of like maybe somebody is trying to start um, a similar business. So I, I would say like monthly is ideal because there's so many new trademark applications that are filed every month and so many new businesses that are starting, which is a good thing, but it also just means you know, definitely want to be on it. Um, monthly, if, if you're not going to, you know, if you're kind of going to try to do it yourself, and like stay on top of it yourself, um, then I would say like maybe quarterly would be good. And so your service does all of that, including the Google alerts and, and all of it? Um, yeah, so we have, um, ours is a monthly service. And so it comes with, um, we search the top five uh, pages of Google. We search social media pages um, and then um, the trademark office, everything that everybody, like all the different applications that have come in um, in that month and then domain names and LLC registrations. Fantastic. Okay, yeah. sign me up. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> you're like, okay, how do I do that? <laughs> um, but I have a, I have a, a, a few questions based on that. So um, you mentioned you can trademark like taglines and different things. One of the things that I notice happening, and I don't know if there's anything that's legally um, possible with this, but people cop my language all the time. And I'm always like on the fence about like it, like obviously, you know, copying is the best form of flattery, but there's copying and then there's model modeling. And I've had past employees cop my language and even, you know, processes change them slightly. And I just discovered this recently. That's why it's on my mind. <laughs> um, but also, you know, clients who, who like they hear it so much that it becomes how they think. And I recognize that there's part of me on, on that front, just in case you're listening, um, don't teach my processes, but there are concepts that are not mine. I don't like own universal law. How I teach it is mine. And there's a differentiation um, there. So all the stuff that I teach, I want to make an impact and have it um, be shared widely. This is going to help the world, world, okay? And if it comes through another person, that's fine. Don't teach my process, right? And that's different. That's unique. So how, how do you go about figuring out what, what that line is and um, when to pursue something and when not to? Like with the, with the employee, I was like, ah, oh, really? You know, like, and, and it's on the line. On the one hand, it's like, this is the English language. On the other hand, it's like, oh, that's really like our copy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's tricky because there's one type of content or one type of language can have like different protections to it. So let's sort of just like walk through kind of the basics of how you protect things. So if it's a brand name, if it's a tagline, if it's something that would go on like the heading of a website, then that can be a trademark. Um, but if it's more of like a, a video or a course um, or, you know, like photos, um, downloadable guides, that could be a copyright and you could protect like the actual contents of that course. So like all the videos, stuff like that. Same thing with the website. So you could protect like all of the copy on the page. Okay. So would you need, like if you have, like we have, you know, five or six different programs, we, they all get consolidated generally into our spirit of wealth mastermind. But in the past they were sold as separate programs. And uh, would you trademark each program separately? Um, yeah. So you could trademark the name of each program if you wanted to protect the name, but if you wanted to protect the contents of each program, then yeah, you would copyright. Um, it sounds like each one would have to be separate. There are some times when you can group it all in together, but it's based off of when you first launched it. So it sounds like they were all separate. So yeah, each one would probably need to be its own. Um, okay. Yeah. And like I teach the manifestation matrix mm -hmm. and that was something that I developed my process and I can see it out there. Um, so that would have been something that I need to uh, trademark because it's a, like there's a graphic associated with it. There's like there's particular concepts in it. Or I saw you nod your head a little bit like, eh, yeah, maybe not. I, I, yeah, I was just going to clarify something. So you, when you copyright like the, the manifestation matrix, for example, you could copyright like the videos and the graphics. And so nobody is able to copy those videos or those graphics. 
but the concepts that you're talking about are really hard to protect. So unless it's something that you're like, this is like so unique that maybe you could patent it, but I think that's a little bit harder with concepts. Um, then it's going to be really hard to protect like the concept itself. Another sort of a workaround that you could do is have, um, you know, have some sort of a contract, definitely with your employees, but also maybe with people who take the program saying that they're not going to use the concepts in the way that you're taught that you've taught them for like commercial purposes. Yeah. I love it. We need to, well, we might have that in our contracts already. I just would have to look. It's this stuff, right? This is exactly, I mean, it's a great heads up because this is where you were at. You were like, yeah, I have all this other stuff to do. And we can't forget the, the details. Though I will say, I mean, your story is, is, um, a great story to recognize this, but you know, there are trade-offs in the beginning. You have so many priorities, which one do you, um, do first? So there's always that. Okay. So, Let's see. Can you tell us how, like, how can business owners really prevent people from, you know, trying to copycat their their entire business? Is it simply getting a trademark? Yeah, it's kind of, you know, like I was saying, like, there's all these different ways to protect things. So I think it's about priorities. Um, you know, you could copyright every like course or every program that you have, or you technically you could copyright like every video or every photo, but that doesn't really make sense to protect, you know, every single thing that you're doing all the time. So to me, the main thing is the main priorities would be like protecting your, your branding with a trademark and then protecting, you know, like the money-making aspects of your business, um, whether that's like client agreements or whether that's like course policies, um, stuff like that through contracts. Okay. Okay, great. Before I ask my last three questions, can you tell us where people can find out more about you? And I know you also have a free webinar on trademarks as well. So why don't you share about that? Yeah, so we are at sproutlaw.com. And we're also on Instagram at sproutlaw. That's where we kind of post all of our, uh, we do a lot of like celebrity trademarks. So if you're interested in like what all of the celebrities are coming out with, so uh, we talk a lot about that there. So it's just kind of like fun pop culture celebrity gossip there. But um, we also have a free webinar all about trademarking, just kind of like walk you through the process of like, how long does it take and how do you get started and how much does it cost and what to expect, all that kind of stuff. So do all that at sproutlaw.com. Okay, fantastic. Okay, so my final three questions are, how do you continue to learn in order to stay on top of your game and keep, keep growing? Um, it's constant reading, like constant taking courses and constant ordering books on different areas of like, whether it's, um, I just bought, I bought one the other day about like value proposition design about like how to build your business plan in a way that, you know, just like all the different models of business plans. And, and then about one about like how you psychologically handle like making more money in your business than you thought was possible. And like, there's just all these different aspects of, uh, of running a business from the actual like business ops to, um, stuff like that. So I think just courses, like spending a lot of time and money on education. Yeah. Huge. That was a really big one. I mean, I still, I think there's a book coming every two or three days in this household. Um, so I'm still like, I learned how to speed read and that changed my life mm-hmm. and, uh, audible changed my yes. life as well. Right. Yeah. But like, it's a constant, it's a constant growth for me. And that was one of the biggest things that I did when I was making my big quantum leap and going from 138 a year to 
700K in one year and then crossing the seven figures was like I was reprogramming my mind to think successfully and it was studying every morning. So absolutely. Yeah, I think sort of like what you were talking about, there's these sort of like edge points. I think it's kind of the same thing as you're growing where it's like, there's a point where like what you were doing before is not going to get you to the next level that you want to get. Like you have to level up your skills and your, your, um, I don't know, like your business network too. Like you have to, and that just, you know, it's, it's like a constant thing that never stops. Absolutely. Okay. This is a, a little bit more of an intimate question just for you, me, and everyone listening. Let's do it. Um, what do you love most about yourself? I love that I am really brave about certain things. I, some, some things I just, I don't care about being scared and I just want to push myself through that feeling. It's like being on a roller coaster, but I don't like roller coasters. So that's what I'm saying. I'm brave about some things like not roller coasters, but, but in business and in like, in just like taking risks about things. Like I have no problem being like, let's just buy some crypto. Let's just buy this rental property. Let's just invest in all these different, like I was playing around with NBA trading cards and like making money off of that in their early uh, pandemic. So I just like, I, I just am constantly challenging myself to like learn new things and just um, take risks, even though sometimes they're, they don't always pay off, but, um, but you know, there's lessons to be learned in everything. I love it. With the uh, NBA training cards based on a Gary V perspective. <laughs> they were actually, yeah. yeah. I was like, I know that strategy, but that's and awesome that you were like, oh, that's interesting. I'll go do that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it ended up working out. So I, I've since, um, I've liquidated my NBA trading cards, but it was okay. a, it was a fun lockdown activity. Yeah. I love yeah. it. I love it. Okay. Final question. What makes you an unstoppable woman? I think it's, um, I mean, this in the best possible way, like never being satisfied and just constantly trying to improve, constantly trying to say like, okay, what's next? Um, I think there's like so many points in our life where we could all just say like, okay, that's good. Like I'm good at this level, whether that's like personally or in relationships or in our careers. And um, I just, I, I don't ever feel that way. Like I'm constantly just trying to get to the next thing. I love that answer. I love that answer. Cause one of the things I teach is like be grateful, be happy, be content with, with the experience that you have. You don't have to reject it, but never be satisfied. You always want, like the, the experience that we have here on earth is one of a kind. We get to grow. And if you're putting a cap on that because you think it, it's wrong or bad to, to want more, you're really like limiting yourself and not making the most of your life and your potential. So I love that answer. Thank you so much for joining us, Nicole. This has been great. I love the information you shared. Thank you so much for, for the generosity of spirit with that and how you um, just gave us a lot of great nuggets that we can uh, act on. They're actionable. And I hope everyone goes and checks you out. So thanks for sharing and being here. Hey, thanks so much for joining us and being part of the Unstoppable Woman movement. We have got a ton of free resources for scaling your business at theunstoppablewoman.com slash free stuff. And you can find that link in the description below. So go ahead and check those out. And we'd also love your help in getting our message out to more and more women. 
If you'd be willing to share this video with all the unstoppable women in your life, that would be fantastic. And while you're at it, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Reviews, likes, and comments are greatly appreciated. We go in and read them all. So thank you for those. And thanks for listening and be unstoppable. Unstoppable.